0: These men wore their badges pretty proudly. They were the self-commissioned purity police. They roamed about with their ticket pads open, pens drawn, ready to write anybody up who broke Moses' law. On that day, they finally found the purity police's most wanted. They planned a raid to arrest her in the act, but they were not just after her. They wanted to use this opportunity to arrest Jesus. They could hardly sleep a wink that night. As they tossed and turned, their ears rang with the blasphemous words of that carpenter turned preacher, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. John 7, verses 37 through 38. They had heard worship as some of the crowd who was listening began believing. Some had even hailed him as their Messiah. But he could not be their Messiah. He was just a carpenter from Nazareth, no less. Nothing good comes from there. They had studied the law. They knew what the Messiah would be like, what he would do. They even knew where he would come from. He would come from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. This poor imposter was no Messiah. Jesus had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. During this holy feast, the Jews remembered the hardships their ancestors had experienced as they wandered through the wilderness after God set them free from Egyptian slavery. Jesus was ruining their holy festival. In the name of righteousness, they had to put a stop to his teaching, even if that meant putting a stop to him. As they schemed, they finally fell asleep. As the sun began to peak above the plain, Jesus was already up, headed down toward the city. Merchants in the marketplace were dabbing dew off their carts, opening up for the day. Jesus nodded at them as he headed for his house, the temple. He was greeted warmly by a full house. Some familiar faces, some new faces. Everyone was there to hear what this wonder worker would say. The day before, he had promised they could be filled with the Spirit of God. What would he promise this day? Some leaned against the outside walls with their arms folded, still not sure what to think, but still very curious what he would say. Others sat close, hanging on every word, hoping to hear a specific word from him for them. Suddenly, they heard screams and shouts as the purity police paraded in Dragging a woman behind them. We pick up her story in John chapter 8. And we're going to pick up that story right after this.
1: Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's word in our lives.
0: Welcome back, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I'm happy to be your host. You're listening to the God's Word for Life companion podcast. It is the companion podcast to the lesson guide, the small group guide, the daily devotional guide, all of those guides in the God's Word for Life family. And so I'm really happy you are with me I'm reading from John chapter 8, verse 11, when she said, No man, Lord, nobody's condemned me. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, while Jesus taught in the temple somewhere else in Jerusalem, scribes and Pharisees had arrested this woman caught in adultery that brought her humiliated to the temple. They interrupted Jesus' teaching, set her right in front of him, And loudly announced for everyone to hear that they had caught her in the very act of adultery. The whole situation was suspicious. These scribes and Pharisees didn't need to humiliate her, didn't even need to involve Jesus. To them, he was not the highest religious authority. They could have locked her in a cell until they could bring her before the high court, the Sanhedrin. And obviously, adultery involves two people. So that begs the question, where's the guilty guy? If the man somehow escaped when the woman was arrested, they made no effort to arrest him? Why wasn't he brought into the temple as well if he was just as much a sinner as she was? And how did they know when and where to go to catch her? This was all a setup. So here's the question. Does this situation seem suspicious to you? What do you think the scribes and Pharisees, these super hyper-religious men, were really after? The humiliated woman sat there as her accuser stood before Jesus. John 8 verses 4 through 6 record their opening statements. They said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Ha ha! Detective John has identified their motive. Their motive was not necessarily promoting righteousness. They weren't in this for holiness. They were in this to trap Jesus. And they were using the woman as bait to put Jesus in an impossible situation. If Jesus replied, Come on, fellas, let her go. They could accuse him of breaking the law of Moses, which clearly called for execution by stoning as the penalty for adultery. But this response would turn the Jews against Jesus and his teaching. But if he replied, executor of course or they could accuse him of advocating they break roman law because the romans had stripped the jewish authorities right to execute people for religious crimes and he would end up punished by the romans jesus could not win they could not lose jesus this troublemaker this interloper was as good as gone so what would he say what did he say well he didn't say either In fact, he didn't say anything. Jesus didn't immediately respond to her accusers. He just stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger like he didn't even hear them. And the gospel writer does not tell us why Jesus wrote or tell us what he wrote. Personally, in my opinion, I think he wrote a shopping list. Well, let's see. Before we go back to camp, we need bread and milk and eggs. Teachers and preachers have speculated for years on what he wrote. Maybe. He was just diffusing the dangerous situation. Maybe he was just taking a breath and writing a few words in the dirt. Or maybe he stooped down to show he's not standing over her in judgment. He's getting on her level. Some even suggested he was writing the names of women the accusers had inappropriate relationships with themselves or sins that they had committed. For whatever reason, Jesus wrote what he wrote. And before long, the accusers got a little impatient and they pressed him again. So here's my question to you. What do you think Jesus wrote on the ground? And that's gonna be our question for our Facebook God's Word for Life post. I'd love to hear your responses. What do you think Jesus wrote on the ground there in John chapter eight? I wanna hear from you. Go to our God's Word for Life Facebook page. You'll find the link in the show notes and you can respond and I'd love to hear what you have to say. Well, so far, Jesus hasn't set her free. So far, he hasn't accused her either. Maybe Jesus' writing encouraged her. Maybe gave her a little bit of hope. He wasn't like the others. His behavior was not hostile toward her in any way. In fact, he seemed to be concerned. He didn't want to humiliate her any further. Maybe when Jesus ignored her accusers and knelt down close to her, she fixed her eyes on him and ignored them. Was there something in Jesus' eyes or his facial expression that drew her to him and told her, you can trust him with your life. To be in right relationship with God, we've got to ignore accusers. The devil's good at that. He has a doctorate in accusation. He brings our sins and our failures to our attention with great, alarming, high-definition clarity to make us think there's no way God would ever forgive us. He might try to make us think, I'm flawed, I'm broken, I, I always end up doing wrong. I just It's what I am, it's just what I do. Other people might even mock our attempt to live for God and say, Oh, yeah, it won't last. I give them six weeks. But we can't control what they might say or might do or might not. All we can do is ignore them and focus on God and what he says about us. John 3, verse 17, Jesus said, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't just come to proclaim, We're sinners and guilty before God. He came to save us from our sin. Now, that doesn't mean the woman's sin was no big deal. Her sin, our sin, that cost Jesus his life. Forgiveness for our sin, salvation for our souls. That's why Jesus came, to pay the price for our sin so we could be saved and set free from the power of sin. Jesus' prosecutors did not let him off the hook just because he wrote. They demanded that he answer them, that he pass judgment on her and on her sin. So finally, Jesus stood up, he wiped the dust off his hands, and in one sentence, he blew apart their entire scheme. Jesus responded, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. John 8, verse 7. Wow, that was wisdom, divine wisdom. Jesus did not urge them to violate the law of Moses. In fact, he gave them permission to carry out justice, just as long as they never needed mercy. They could cast a stone if they were qualified, but that meant they were not guilty of her same sin or any sin. According to Moses' law, when someone was sentenced to death by stoning, one of the witnesses of that capital crime had to cast the first stone. Then the other witnesses could join in. Somebody didn't get to just make baseless accusations against somebody and be done with it. They had to be involved in carrying out the sentence themselves. And if they were caught lying, they suffered the same sentence they intended for the person they accused. Jesus was not letting them off the hook. If they were genuinely concerned for righteousness to prevail in Israel, then they would have to be the one to carry out the sentence according to the law right then and right there. And since they were apparently so concerned about Jesus' view, he added the qualification for who could carry out this capital sentence somebody with no sin of his own. Wisdom. Jesus absolutely stripped them of their hypocrisy. They would not be unjust and call for her punishment while themselves being guilty of sin. And surely they would not punish her while failing to punish the other guilty party. Remember the guy? Yeah, he's not there. Jesus knew their motives. The accusers didn't come to the temple to punish some kind of a crime. They came to trap Jesus. But in one brilliant, divinely wise sentence, Jesus exposed their hypocrisy, their motives, and he destroyed their attempt to turn the Jews or Romans against him. The Jews would not be upset because Jesus supported the law. And the Romans would not be upset because Jesus made it impossible for the accusers to break the law. So here's another question. How does this wisdom help to confirm Jesus' deity? Jesus didn't just come up with this idea on his own. If he was just a mere man, this would be a great stretch for him to be able to be this wise. Remember, in the Old Testament, Solomon was wise because God gave him wisdom. Well, in this same case, Jesus, God in flesh, came with this divine wisdom and totally thwarted their plot. And after Jesus responded, he knelt down and wrote on the ground again. And while he wrote, the accusers thought, and they fumed. His word pierced their consciences. They felt their own putrid hypocrisy. And then from the oldest, the ones with the longest record of sin to think about, to the youngest, every one of them left. All of them. It even appears all the people who came to hear Jesus also left. When the final accuser and onlooker were far away, Jesus stood up and asked, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? John 8 verse 10. And relieved, she humbly replied, No man, Lord. And Jesus mercifully replied, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now Christians have been troubled by this story, as if Jesus were treating sexual immorality as insignificant. Ah, It's no big deal. But Jesus was not treating it that way. Remember, her sin, our sin, cost him his life. It is a big deal. And yet Jesus stayed true to his mission, not to condemn, but to save He did not have to condemn her. Her own conscience convicted her. She was ashamed beneath the full weight of her sin. She had a repentant heart, tender toward God, in response to the grace Jesus had just shown her. And standing there in the presence of grace in human flesh, she was forgiven. She was set free. Salvation is not just about being forgiven or being freed from the penalty of sin, like condemnation and judgment. Salvation is also about being free from the power of sin that controlled us and then seeking to live like Jesus wants us to live, according to his law and according to his command. In that same moment, Jesus offered her forgiveness. He also called her to stop living in sin and start living a life of devotion to God, a life of repentance and holiness. This message of salvation is good news. That's why it's called the gospel. No matter how great our sin, God's grace is greater. And God will forgive those who turn to him to be saved. But let's not forget the second part of Jesus' sentence. We are called to go and sin no more. Just because God is so merciful and has given us so much grace doesn't give us a license to freely disregard God's word. Paul wrote in Romans 6 verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid! According to the same chapter, if we continue to flagrantly sin and disregard God's word, we're living like sin is our Lord rather than Christ. Living like that, that leads to death, eternal death separated from God. But praise God for all who trust in Jesus for salvation and through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, live like Jesus is Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to make them holy. Praise God for the everlasting promise of everlasting life. When we have faith in Jesus and repent, like the woman forgiven of adultery, the Lord floods our soul with grace and He forgives us. And just as Jesus told the woman to go and sin no more, the same command comes to us. None of us will ever be perfect in this life, but by the power of God's Spirit that dwells in us, we can live a life marked by obedience in victory over sin, a life where we don't flagrantly disobey God and his word. If we truly believe Jesus is Lord, we will seek to live like that. Paul described Christians as those who have been graciously set free from the power of sin destroying their lives. He said, we are like slaves who have been liberated from slavery that would have killed us. How should we live in response to that? We should live with thanksgiving for God's grace and power that sets us free. Let's make our best effort not to yield ourselves to our former master, which was sin, but to our true master, who is Jesus Christ. In other words, let us go and sin no more. Next question. How does this story present the perfect balance of justice and mercy? And we wrap this up. Jesus handled this very difficult situation so graciously, so wisely. In just a few minutes with a single sentence, not only did he destroy his opponent's effort to discredit him, but he also ministered to the woman and helped her turn from her sin, set her on a path toward righteousness. The command to sin no more it seems impossible. I get that. But she wasn't left on her own. Right before we have this suspicious scene in the temple, Jesus taught, remember what he taught? If any man thirst, let him come into me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. John 7, verses 37 through 38. Interestingly, precedes John 8. After Jesus' resurrection, he would guide her so she could come to receive the Holy Spirit, to give her new spiritual life and empower her to walk with him. God's spirit within her would be a continual source of spiritual life, vitality, power to live the life he called her to live. Thankfully, through the life-giving power of the Spirit, we can drink deeply of the Spirit in order to live a life above the bondage of sin. It's not complicated. Most of us already know what to do to open our lives wider to the working of God's Spirit. Let's fill our days with daily prayer and reading the Word of God. Let's join together weekly with other believers in services for worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. Let's fast on a regular basis to disconnect from the world and draw closer to God. In calling us to heed Jesus' command, let's do what will enable us to do just that. And let's always remember we are living for our gracious and loving Lord who is for us, who will help us, who will forgive us when we inevitably stumble and pick us back up so we can keep walking. Last question, how can we live in the divine balance of justice and mercy? And with that, we go to prayer. Let's pray for God to help us live, to show mercy to those who sin, not to judge them, but to be merciful. And then let's pray for God to help us to live above the power of sin so we can live a life that honors and glorifies God, not sin. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you so much for this amazing story that you told in Scripture. Thank you for the grace and the mercy you showed this woman. I pray, God, help us to be merciful to others like you were merciful to her and like you are merciful to us. Help us to not judge, not be self-righteous, but Lord, may we be gracious and merciful as freely as we have received. May we freely give. And help us today, Jesus, I pray, live above the power of sin. Help us to carry out that command you gave to her, you gave to us to go and sin no more. Help us today to live above the power of sin. And if we do sin, Give us the grace and the humility to admit it, to repent, and ask you and others we may have hurt to forgive us. I ask you today, Jesus, help us to be merciful and help us to lean on your mercy for our own lives. We pray this today and we thank you for it in the precious, lovely, wonderful, merciful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to subscribe, follow, like, share. I would love for you to continue growing in God's Word for Life. Thank you to all those who continually listen. We have several loyal listeners, and I'm so thankful for that. Once again, I would love to hear from you. If you have an answer to our God's Word for Life question of the week question, what do you think Jesus wrote when he wrote on the ground? I would love to hear from you. Just go to our God's Word for Life Facebook page. There is a God's Word for Life Facebook community from Rector, Arkansas. Our friends from Rector, thank you for using God's Word for Life, but that is not our page It is a page that the church and rector helps to moderate. You'll have to find God's Word for Life link in the show notes, and that's the only way I can respond to you if you respond on that God's Word for Life question. So thank you, rector, but that is a different page from the one that is officially the God's Word for Life page. So you'll find that question and an opportunity to answer God's Word for Life. You'll find the link in the show notes. Hey, Thanks to your loyal listening. Thanks to all of you who continue to stream, download, share, and all of that. We have just crested 150,000 downloads. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I would love to know also how it's a blessing to you. You can reach out to me on email at lharry at upci.org, L-H-A-R-R-Y at upci.org. I'd love to hear how you're using the podcast If you're using it to help you prepare to teach, if you're using it to follow up after a lesson, if you're using it for a small group, if you're using it to reach out to people, invite them to part of your group, however you're using it, if you're using it simply for your own devotion and walk with God, I'd love to hear it. Please send me an email, lherry at upci.org. Next week, we continue the series, The Power of Forgiveness and How Powerful is Forgiveness. Our next episode is entitled 70 Times 7. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living
1: out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at pentecostalpublishing.com.